Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host A. Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Interviews with your favorite names in rock and metal. New episodes every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and thank you for checking it out. As I tell you every week, everything you hear on the podcast as far as the interviews all originated on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, which is heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on Faction Talk, Sirius XM channel 103. If you only listen to this podcast and you can get Sirius or XM or subscribe to it, you're only getting a tiny fraction of what I do on the radio live every day. So please come on board and join me for Trunk Nation, Talk and Rock with you Monday through Friday. Again, 3 to 5 Eastern time. And if that time doesn't work for you, you can always listen anytime you want on demand on the Sirius XM app. So be sure to join me on Sirius XM radio if you can, if you are in the U.S. or Canada. We have a great interview for you this week that took place. I did this about, um, I guess when you're hearing this, about two and a half weeks ago. And it was done at an event that I co-host called The Sands in Cancun at the Planet Hollywood Resort. And one of the artists that performed at the event was legendary foreigner vocalist Lou Graham, the guy who, such a huge part of the band, such an incredible voice, sang on all the legendary classic material. Uh, Lou, who I was super psyched to have come on, ended up uh, joining me and sitting in with me for probably over an hour or just about an hour and got real candid about his entire history in music his feelings about Foreigner, some great stories about recording some of the Foreigner classics. You're going to love this. It was a real, real treat to have him on. Can't wait for you to have a listen to it right now. Lou Graham on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. He is uh, one of my all-time favorite singers, one of the greats of all time, and I am so honored that he's taken some time out from the beautiful weather out there and the pools and the beaches to sit in here with me and yap for a bit. Lou Graham is here. Good to see you, Lou. Good to see you, Eddie. How you doing, man? How you doing? Well, yeah, doing very well. You look great. How's your health? My health is good. I'm being a good boy, and uh, I'm enjoying life. What is what is constitute uh, being a good boy for Lou Graham? What were when you were a bad boy? What were you doing? Uh, same thing. All the bad boys were doing. Yeah. You know? And uh, at some point, uh, I made this the decision that I'd had enough of it, and. Uh, Took took measures to to straighten myself out and and live right. How difficult was that for you to do coming up in the seventies, a big successful rock band, all the trappings of the excess and all that? How difficult was it for you to get right? Uh, it 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 was difficult, and and uh, there was there was a little red character with horns who sat on my shoulder that did not want me to get right. Mm. And and uh, I um, I needed to because I was jeopardizing my marriage and and uh, I didn't want my kids to to know me as this alter ego that that the the um, that that I would become you know when when uh, I was in excess. Mm. 
So, so, so I, I, I'd had enough of that anyways, you know, you know, foreigner, foreigner toured for long amounts of time when we were on the road. And at some point we, 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 um, we just, you know, we, 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 uh, partied hardy and, and often and, and, uh, and, and I, I honest, I honestly got tired of life that way. And I, I made, I took steps. Um, well, first of all, I, I, um, I became born again Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and then I went to, immediately I went to Hazleton and this happened right after Foreigners, uh, um, the original band, Foreigners, last show at Madison Square Garden. What year are we talking about? Uh, talking about 90, 90, 93, 92. So when you, because you had left the band for a couple of years and then you came back. Yes. So it was then. Yes. And you guys played the garden. And yes. then that was the height of where you felt you were having a problem. It, it, it was, you know. Um, at any rate. And Hazleton is a rehab facility? It's in, it's, uh, in northern Minnesota. Okay. And, and uh, after, after the garden, uh, all, all the record company execs were there, and and uh, all, all the the uh, all our friends in, in in other rock bands, and it, it was it was a wonderful time. But but uh, at at some point, uh, uh, I knew that I, I was I was off the tracks, and and when I got back to my hotel, I. I knew I was not going to make my flight the next day, next early morning. I was flying back to Rochester, and I knew that I was not going to get, I was going to get little to no sleep, and I was not going to make that, not going to make that flight. So when I did get up the next day, I, I called my, my attorney, and, and he's also a very good, was also a very good friend of me, mine at the time, and uh, told him my situation and asked them if he, Knew of a place that I could I could rehab and and turn my life around, and he suggested Hazelton, and uh, so so I called my wife and let her know I was not coming home and that I was I was going to take care of a, a long-standing problem, and she knew exactly what I meant and she told me go get it. How long were you there for, Lou? A month. A month, and and obviously, did it did that month set you right from that point on, or were there relapses and you had to go back? Because you no. hear a lot about that with people who go through relapses. I'd, I'd I'd been to a few other places before, but but they were two week stints, and um, they were holistic, and and it, it kind of it kind of set you where you think you ought to go, but 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 Hazelton really was like a boot camp. Because you hear those stories of, of so many musicians or actors or whatever going to rehab and they, uh, they were bringing in drugs in the back room while right. they were in there and they were partying and everything. You were, you were committed to it. You weren't messing around. I wasn't messing around. And, and there were some characters in my... It was, it was like a... Uh, well, it was like a boot camp and they, they had different uh, um, halls or different... different uh, almost like fraternities little little groups of guys like 16 guys and then another group of 16 guys then another group of 18 or 20 women and stuff like everybody was separated into little camps you know mm-hmm. and and uh so the, the the guys that i was in camp and one guy was a northwest airlines pilot oh wow yep you don't want a pilot being high from well, the plane he told us stories that that were unbelievable wow and and uh also uh, uh a a a mobster uh, a new york city mobster oh wow went there to straighten out oh wow yeah it, it was it was it was a collection of really different uh, um different people I was going to say, I don't think that airline is still going anymore. That might be the reason you, why. You know what? It's too bad. It was a great airline. I, I never flew it, but it's like, you, you know, I mean, it's, you know, God forbid something happens on a plane, but you know what I'm saying? That's crazy. If you if you don't mind me asking, um, without being too personal, you said you could, you you would turn and it was jeopardizing your relationship and everything. What, what was your biggest issue? Was it drugs, alcohol, or both? 
It was both. Both. It was both. You didn't it was, discriminate. It, it was drugs more than alcohol, but alcohol was was right up there. And when, we ta- when you're talking about drugs, hard drugs or, you know, co- cocaine. Co- cocaine, cocaine, mainly. You weren't injecting stuff. No, no. Okay. But that was enough to set you off and it, cre- it, it, to your was. credit, you realized you needed help. And that's probably why you're still sitting here right now. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, um, you know, there, there, there started to be a lot, a lot of uh, us rock and rollers that were, were dropping. Yeah. You know, from 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 overdoses and and accumulated use, and uh, I did not want to be that statistic. You know, I was just talking to some friends about uh, of mine about. I just saw Aerosmith play recently, mm-hmm. and their residency in Vegas was pushed back a month because Stephen had to go to rehab again, and he was very open about it and talked about it. And he had had some surgery done on his feet. And they gave him painkillers and he got hooked on them. And he immediately recognized it and got into rehab. And, and he's 75 and he's still amazing at what he can do. And I said to my friends, I said, you know what? Credit to him for realizing yes. how quickly he needed help. Because a guy with that much wear on the tread from the years and decades of doing that, he wouldn't, he wouldn't endure it at 75 more than a few days, I wouldn't think. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, well. You you, you got to know yourself at that age. Boy, yeah, you know. I want to ask you: Do you you had um, an issue uh, with your health where you had a, a brain? You had brain surgery, right? Yes, I did. And do you think, or did doctors tell you your issues with that were at all in any way due to your addictions or I, no? I thought for sure that it was, mm-hmm. but but uh, when after the MRIs were taken and and I spoke to. Uh, the doctor that was going to operate on me, he says, he says, don't even think that. He says, he says, you were born with this tumor. Mm-hmm. And says, it wasn't cancerous, right? It was not cancerous, but it finally got big enough to, to, to be an issue in your life. And what, how was it manifesting yourself? Did you feel pain? Were you getting headaches? I was getting headaches. I was, I was suffering from, from spotty, long and short-term memory lapses. I go to call my parents and halfway through dialing the number, I couldn't remember the last four numbers. Oh wow! Yeah, and and you know little things like that, but but stuff that I mean it bothered the hell out of me, you know, and and uh, I'd be getting fits of dizziness and you know and and uh, I had I had about three MRIs in three different places, and each doctor told me to go home and put my affairs together. Oh my gosh! Yep. And and. So I was I was home and I was putting my affairs together, and I happened to see on uh, twenty twenty, the the program twenty twenty, yeah, uh, a segment about a doctor in Boston. His name was um, Doctor Black, and he was the purveyor of operating on inoperable brain tumors using laser surgery, and uh, so. After the after the segment on TV, I called his office early the next morning, and uh, told his personal secretary about my situation, and she says, "Hang on a second. She goes, and so this was Tuesday morning, and she goes, "We have an opening on Thursday. Can you get here tomorrow?" So I flew there the next day, and they did more MRIs on me, and uh, at five in the morning, Thursday morning, they were wheeling me into the operating room. Now, what year was this? This was 1999. No, sorry, 1997. So 25 years ago. And it, so is that procedure that you had in that sort of surgery become more of the norm now? Do you know? Yes, it is. It is. So you were one of the first or earliest to have it. Yes, I was. What was that recovery like for you? It was about eight years. Wow. Eight years till I was till I, I consider myself fully recovered. Uh, so the the surgery took 19 hours, and and uh, when the doctor came in to see me, I, I slept a, f- a full day and a half after the surgery. When he finally came in to see me and we talked for a while, he to- he told me he says he says uh, told me how difficult the surgery was, and and um, he says you you've got another battle to fight. He goes, your recovery is going to be long and intense. He goes, he says, just just deal with it. He says, you'll be feeling better and better slowly, and at some point you'll you'll be back to 100. And sh- and sure enough, you know, I I was 
so pleased that that tumor was 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 removed from me but but i i immediately um developed sleep apnea you know i couldn't get to sleep at night i'd be waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats well, sleep apnea is when you don't get enough oxygen when you sleep. That's right. And that, that was a byproduct of, because that could be for a few different reasons. It yes. could be because you weigh too much. I had it for 10 years and I lost some weight and it went away. But it's not, a big rumor about that is it's exclusive to be, being heavy. It's not. Right. I have friends that weigh 100 pounds and have it. So right. you can have it for a variety of reasons. But you had it because of the surgery. Yes. Wow. But, 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 uh, I was on massive steroids after the surgery for about 10 years. I mean, massive steroids. So it may have blown up your larynx or something. Well, it blew up a number of things. I, I gained about 150 pounds. You, got, you were that heavy. I, my, my weight as an adult was 145 pounds. So you were almost at 300? Yep, 290 pounds I was. Were you ever seen like that? I don't recall. Seeing I was on pictures. stage. I was on stage like that. Were you really? Yep. I don't recall seeing you like oh, that. Oh yeah, uh, I'd be hearing shouts from from people in the audience going, "Better lay off the pasta and sauce, or better better f- skip those burgers, or something." You know, people can be pretty cruel. Of course, yeah. You know? And and uh, and it was your medication. It was my medication. And and how about this? When when I went in for surgery. We had to cancel uh, uh, the Far East, Japan, Australia, uh, uh, a, whole, a whole Far Eastern swing of, of touring with Foreigner. And my, my surgeon told me, uh, you know, I, 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 have, I had a drag race car myself, too. I'm, I'm a car, uh, car fanatic. And, and he told me not, not to drive that car anymore for a long time and he said he's he said i don't want you touring with the band he says for at least a year and two months after i got out of surgery i was on the road with foreigner yes oh my gosh because because when they can't when they postponed the shows that i was supposed to play when i went in for surgery mm-hmm. they rescheduled them for for three or four months later you know that they should have they should have waited until they sure. got they got my prognosis right but but they rescheduled them without without waiting and and I was told that that the band would be under massive lawsuits if we didn't if we didn't perform the shows the second time at least you know and how did you do on those shows I'll tell let me tell you something I had to I had to have the lyric I had to have some of the lyrics to every song written down on a white piece of paper with a big black marker and taped to the floor. So basically not a teleprompter handwritten out. Handwritten out, yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't the whole verse if if I could if I could remember the first two or three words the rest of the verse would come to me. But but as the music's leading up to the verse I would blank out. And that's the way I performed with the band for for about a year. Wow. Unbelievable. I mean, I don't want to spend this whole time talking about your health. I want to talk about music, of course. Sure. But last thing that I want to ask you about... It, it was hell, let me tell you. I would imagine. But the, the last thing I want to ask you about health-wise, I mean, again, I'm not just saying this to be nice. You look great. Uh, is all of this behind you now? As far do you have to still go through anything to checks in your head and all I, of that? I, I every, every two years I have an MRI to make sure nothing nothing new is returning. And so far it's been one hundred percent clean. Great. And how do you feel now vocally? I'm I'm up to par on what I was twenty years ago. Is that right? I swear to you. So you feel like you can. Sing it all right now. No, I, and I do. You do. Well, I'm going to see you tonight. I can't wait. Good. <laughs> I can't. It's been too long since I saw you sing. Um. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. 
with nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Lou, during the commercial break, you just told me something that blew my mind. You are 72. You just talked about all you've been through, and you now have a five-year-old daughter. Five-year-old daughter, a little redhead. Oh, my gosh. With blue eyes. And your oldest child is how old? 42. So you have a 42 and a five-year-old. Yes. How is that to be 72 with a five-year-old? It's, it's awesome. I mean, she's, she's the sweetest little girl. She loves me so much. I love her. We, we, uh, we, we play hide-and-seek. We, we bounce the ball around outside. We, we, we do a lot of things, you know, and, and uh, whenever I can, I take her to the playground. And it's, it's, it's very sweet to, to you know, when, when my other kids were, were that age, I was on the road for months at a time. I mean, months at a time. I missed all of that, with mm-hmm. that you know. And, and to, to have that with, with a sweet little girl that I love, again, makes me feel like a kid. That is awesome. How much are you on the road now? Uh, n- not, not much. We don't, we don't, we don't do full on tours. We, we, um, we go out for single or double dates, uh, uh, weekend fly date stuff. Yeah. 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 That's right. You know, we, we could be doing, uh, one show or three shows a week and, 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 and then we're back home. So before, before we talk about some stuff from the past, what you're doing now and what you're doing here is under the name Lou Graham All-Stars, right? Yes, that's right. So explain to people what you're, what that show is. I imagine it's foreigner stuff, but then other things from out through your career as well? Yeah, it's 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 uh, foreigner stuff. It's it's things from uh, uh, my solo albums. It's it's I think we do a song from Shadow King. And, and uh, we're starting to prepare some songs from a forthcoming album. So you've, you're going to do a new record? Yes. I'm curious... You know, I, I've always said you're one of my favorite singers. You're one of the great singers of all time, in my opinion. I truly feel that. When did you first know you could sing? I know you had a band before Foreigner called Black Sheep. That's correct. You did two records with them, right? On Capitol Records, yeah. It didn't happen, though, right? The, that band didn't get over the hump. It, it, it was happening. We, we were set to open the, the Kiss Tour. What year are we talking? 1976. Okay. Okay. Well, so when Kiss was really popping, yes, yeah, and we played we played a show at at, at uh, Boston, Boston, not the Boston Gardens, but Boston. Um, I can't remember what the name of the place was, but it was a, it was a nice size arena, and um, we opened. For, it was their first first uh, show of their tour, and and we were set to open for them. I think Kiss was on Capitol Records too, weren't they? Polygram. Polygram. Well, well, at that time, Casablanca. Okay. Before Polygram bought it. Okay. At any rate, we were you guys on Capitol or Chrysalis? We 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 were on Chrysalis, uh, and we we recorded a single and a B side, and it was our understanding that they told us that they were just about to make their inroads into the states. Because they were a European label, right? Right. They told us they were about to make their inroads into the states. They were going to have a big, big offices in New York and L.A. and so on and so forth. And by the time the album came out, they would be, give us the full push. Well, after we after we did the single and stuff, we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they finally told us that they decided they weren't going to come to the states. Mm. And we asked for our release. And then you moved to Capital. And then we moved to Capital. Capital heard us. We played. Matter of fact, we we opened for Aerosmith in Syracuse, and uh, there were some Capital reps there, and they saw us. Now you said you were supposed to do the Kiss tour. Why didn't you? Because at, at the the night of that big show in Boston, which which we we finished our set and got a standing ovation, and we we asked. Kiss's tour manager if we could answer our ovation and apparently they ne- they never let an opening act do that do an encore do an encore and right. he says yeah he says go 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 answer it you know so we went out and we did one more one more song and and we got we got another ovation and we we just we just thanked the audience and went off stage and and we got ready we went out and watched Kiss and they were awesome so this was this was Christmas Eve, uh, nineteen seventy-five, and on the way home there was a, a unbelievable snowstorm with sleet and snow, and and I you know I made it home, 
with the guys in the band and and about 4:30 in the morning I got a call from from our our crew guy that that our truck with all our equipment in it hit a patch of ice on the New York State Thruway and slid off the road and rolled over. Mm. And the guys were all bumped and bruised up, but nobody hurt badly. And that the truck had been winched back on the road and and brought brought to a gas station somewhere in Schenectady. So about 4:30 in the morning I took I took uh the the car and 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 uh, Bruce Turgan, the bass player, and I went and picked up the, re- the rest of the crew. And we tried to, to assess the damages of the equipment, but but the the box on the truck was like this, mm. and we couldn't get the back door open. Mm. So the day after Christmas, we went back there and got somebody to to snap the the, uh, the cables on, on the overhead door, and we managed to get it up enough to see the equipment and uh it was 80 percent destroyed oh wow okay and the, the 28th of jan of, of uh, december we we're supposed to be in miami opening for kiss so we we you know we were we were all young and we were begging our parents to front us a little money so we can put some kind of equipment and a small truck together mm-hmm. and it was a recession in America, then, and and nobody's parents in the band could could conceivably do that for us, and and then we asked Capitol Records if they would do that for us since we were promoting the album and they were our label. If they could, you know, what would it be for them to to front us twenty five thousand dollars to get equipment and, and a small truck to tour support, especially you're about to go out on a band that's blowing up with Kiss. Yes. Yeah. They they wouldn't do it, and uh, so so Kiss had no choice but to drop us from the tour. And two days later, Atlantic or Capital dropped us from from the label. So is from there? Do you go to Foreigner? From there, uh, uh, Black Sheep was meeting every two or three days to try and figure out what we were going to do. It, we all had we all had part time jobs and stuff. If we can get some small Fender amps and start playing clubs around Rochester again, you know. And no one was thrilled about that, but but we were resigned to doing it. And then when we were at one of our meetings, my dad calls me and said that this guy named Mick Jones called, wants me to call him back. So I got his number and I called him back. Did you know who he was? I knew who he was because Black Sheep's manager was an A&M records rep. And Mick was on... Spooky Tooth, who was a member of Spooky Tooth. Right. That's who, why I asked who, if you knew, because he had history as well. Yeah, he, 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 his band was on A&M Records. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so they came and they played, Spooky Tooth played the Auditorium Theater earlier in the year, and, and Black Sheep's manager, the A&M rep, took the whole band to see them play, and they were great. And then we got to meet them afterwards in the dressing room. I took the two Black Sheep albums with me, Mm-hmm. And after meeting him, gave them to him and, and said he might enjoy these. This is what we do, you know. And so when he called my my dad, and when I finally called him back, he says I heard the albums. He says I, I really like the way you sing. He says I'm not in Spooky Tooth anymore. I'm putting together my own band. He says Would you like to come and audition for the band? And I I paused and I said, You know, I says we we had a a terrible run of bad luck. In, in Black Sheep, we we lost our truck and, and most of our equipment in a in an accident in a snowstorm. I, I said, I said, but but um, I said we really believe in what we're doing. I says and, and uh, I appreciate the offer, but but I'd like to to see see my band through. Maybe we can get back on our feet and and resume what we were doing. He says, he says, I understand that. He says, I understand that reasoning. He says, you know what? He says, I'll call you back in a month or six weeks and see how you're doing. I says, okay, thanks, Mick. So I went and told the guys in Black Sheep about the call and, and that he wanted me to come and audition. And they said to me, so what did you say? 
I said, I told him no. And I says, what, are you out of your mind? <laughs> he, 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 we said, you know, the guy said, look, we like these little meetings about how we're going to play clubs and all that stuff, but for all intents and purposes, this band is over. He says, you got a golden opportunity there. You better call him back and take it. So I did, I did call him back, and, and uh, he sent me a, a ticket to, to New York, and I was picked up at the airport. I had a gym bag with a couple pairs of socks, a couple pairs of underwear, and a couple T-shirts with me. So we, uh, the audition was not, not a traditional audition. We went to a recording studio where they had already recorded some tracks to Feels Like the First Time, At War With The World, and a couple songs like that. And, and uh, so we listened to them a couple times, and Mick was singing me the basic melody. Of it, you know. So those songs were fully written. Those songs were fully written, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he sang me the melody, and and I had the the lyrics written out. And I went in the recording studio and and did about three or four takes because it was was a little strange getting getting comfortable with it for a while. And um, by the end of the day, um, they they told me that they really liked. The, the the singing and and the work I did on the songs, and um, Mick asked me if I wanted to come home and have dinner with him. So I went home and had dinner, and we started working on more songs right then. Matter of fact, we started working on "Long Long Way from Home." Was that the first song you and he wrote together? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. And how quickly does that come together? Like that night? Yes. Uh, most of it came together that night. And uh, and it, it pretty much continued like that. And we we Bud Prager, our manager, had a had a an office uh, uh, on on um, fifty forty forty seventh in Broadway, and and it was uh, he was on I think the twelfth floor, and there were offices all the way around, and the part in the middle was 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 a storage room which which Mick had made into a little practice room mm-hmm. and that's where we practiced wow the songs that Mick and I were writing and Ian had had input and you know and Al and stuff and and uh, then we would rehearse the song in 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 uh in our practice room and um when we had about six, five or six songs done. We we had uh, Bud Prager start calling uh, record companies to come and listen to us. You know, we were trying trying to garner a recording contract. Well, first of all, let, let me back track just a little bit. So this went on for two or three weeks, and 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 I told the guys, look. I've got to leave. I says, I says I don't have I don't have enough clothes or, right. or, mon- ready for or that. money to right. stay here that long. <laughs> you know, you're making a record. You didn't know you were in the band yet. <laughs> so, 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 come to find out, Bud Preger started giving me, as he gave the other band members, one hundred fifty dollars a week to live on. Which, which, if you were careful, you could do back in those days. Yeah, it's tough in New York, but even yeah. then, well, the, the different know, times. Uh, uh, Ian McDonald lived in New York. Uh, uh, Ed Gagliardi lived in Long Island. Dennis Elliott lived in Ossining. And, and when I moved there, I lived in, in uh, Katona, New York, in Westchester County. It was, it was close to Dennis. And, and uh, so, so, you know, it was about an hour drive in and out in and out of the city every time we went in and went out you know yeah so so um anyways we we uh we worked real hard and and uh we had most all the big labels come in and listen to us and uh, well first of all we did we did some demos to to have them listen to to garner their interest to, to come in and hear us live mm-hmm. and they all liked us but they all passed and uh, even Atlantic Records passed. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And uh, John Kaladna, do you know who John is? Sure. Yeah. He he was there with with um, 
I'm trying to think. Kalodner started at Atlantic and then went to Geffen and all and Epic and all these other labels. But he's well, he young he guy didn't, at Atlantic. He didn't, he didn't start at Atlantic. It was Ahmed Erdogan that started Atlantic. No, he said started at. Started at. Yeah, yes, not he started. Did. Yeah, yes, he started yes, at. Yes, right. he did. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, at, at any rate, uh, um, after after Atlantic turned us down, he came back on his own and said, he goes, you know what? He says, the songs are great. He goes, but whether it's on a demo or whether you're playing them live, they don't have to be four minutes. He says, nobody listens to a four-minute song uh, uh, on the radio. He says, live, you could, you could stretch it out as far as you want, but when you're listening to a song for the first time, four minutes seems like ten minutes. He says, that's why all the songs on the radio you hear on, on hit radio are no longer than three, three and a half minutes long. And he's true. All those Beatle hits were under three minutes. Right. You know? So he says, he says, he says I, I would like to work with you on trimming the excess from all those songs that you played for us. He said, so we, we worked on the songs, you know, the, the solos were, were two minutes in themselves. They were trimmed down to about 20 seconds. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the out choruses where they repeat the chorus over and over again, that, that was about a, a half a minute. Trinette, fade it down earlier. Fade it down earlier, yeah. Right. And, and you know, uh, the, the beginning, it went around two or three times before the vocals came in. One time. One time and then the vocals come in. So, so, so he, we, we edited out all the excess, and, and then we had, we had the president of Atlantic come back and the execs come back, and we played those same songs, only they were more concise, and the excitement was, was, was higher. And um, they, they, they wanted to, to, they talked to Bud Prager about a contract for us that day. And you end up signing to Atlantic, and this is a statistic that I was, when I was doing a little homework here, knowing you were going to come on, that blew my mind, which I did not realize. The first eight singles that Foreigner released all went top 20. That's true. Something that, like... The Beatles. The Beatles are the only other band to have that happen, right? Yes. As a, a young band at that time... Is there anything that can prepare you? You talk, We talked earlier for people just joining us about the, some of the bad roads you went down and the excesses that came with this. I imagine there's nothing that can prepare you for out-of-the-box success like that. No, it, it was stunning. It, it, it was... I, there's really not a lot of words to describe it. We, we were extremely proud. And... and uh, but we were working hard to believe me. Yeah, no, I bet. Do you have a favorite Foreigner album? Four. Okay, so that's interesting because that's the record you did with Mutt Lang. Correct. Mutt Lang, known for being a taskmaster in the studio and is particularly hard on singers and pulling vocals from oh, singers. I've got a story. <laughs> I'd love to hear it because he himself is, is a singer who sings on records. I and know. I don't know if he sang on four. Or, he did. He did. Yes. But what was your experience like? He's like, you know... Mutt Lang's like, it's like a, a, a unicorn. Nobody ever really sees him. It's like, you know, this reclusive guy. But what, But you obviously had a positive experience with Mutt, considering it's your favorite record, or maybe not, but the material was so good. So tell me. So we're working on Jukebox Hero. Yeah. Okay. And, and all the other guys had gone home. It's Mick, Mutt, and me. Okay. And where is this? Where were you recording? This was an electric lady in New York. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. And um, so we had we had uh, the drum track done, and so the drum track's coming out of the the uh, uh, speakers in into the live room, and Mutt plays bass. He's an excellent bass player. So he had he was on bass, and Mick was on guitar, and, and I was in front of a microphone. And so we started. We started uh, playing the beginning of the song, and and I, I came in with uh, "Standing in the Rain," blah, 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 you know, stuff like that, and and uh, and and then uh, and a beat up six string, you know. And, and Matt says, "Can we stop?" I says, "Yeah." He goes, "You know," he says, "He says we've worked on this song for a while." He goes, 
and it's it's awesome where, where that when the chorus comes in and all that stuff and the end of the song is just screaming he goes why does it have to be so 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 held back at the beginning why can't it be bought a beat off six string I says what I said you know and, he, and he's singing he's singing some of the words to the to the beginning of the verse in his screamy voice you know I'm saying mud 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 I says with all due respect, I says, this is an ACDC. <laughs> I says, this, this song starts out held back for a reason. So when the hammer comes down, you know it. Because when that kicks in, Jukebox Hero, the big part, it yes. just go, you know, I, I says, sets the, the stage. I says, I love ACDC, but they don't hold anything back from the beginning of the song. And by the end of the song, there's no place left to go. Right. And he didn't like that. Did you guys butt heads over it? Nope. But but you ended up must end up getting your way because the song does build. That's correct. Because that's one of the beautiful things. I mean, that's one of the most impactful things about Jukebox here. Beyond that, it's a great song. It's that build. It's, it's the, the dynamics. Yeah. I mean, Tony Iommi told me that once. He said to me, he goes, you know, the reason why people think Black Sabbath is so heavy is because they don't talk about the parts where it's soft. He goes, you've got to have that. Yin and yang, Lighten, because when you change. get heavy, it 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 magnifies it. Yes, it does. Yeah. And when I said that, he 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 didn't say anything, but he didn't say anything more about about the way the song is being structured either. And he that was the only record that he did with Foreigner, right? That's correct. Is there a reason why? Do you think he 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 made us wait because he because he was doing. Um, I think he was doing ACDC. He was finishing up ACDC, and and they got bogged down. So it took him longer to finish their album, and we we sat waiting, not recording with no producer. Mm. So so then he finally came, and we got to work, and and it, it, you know, producing our records is not is not a whirlwind thing. It went on and on because he's a perfectionist too, you know. Right, and. Uh, and at the end, we finally we finally got all the songs the way we wanted them. And and he told us that he he had um, he had another project that that he had. I'm trying to think, trying to think who it was. Def Leppard, maybe. I think it was Def Leppard. Yeah. That that he had to go to. That they were waiting. And he had, he had, he couldn't. He would love to finish. He'd love to do the the mixing and all that stuff, but but he had to leave. And uh, he'd be in touch. He'd be listening to the mixes as we sent them to him. So he didn't mix for. No. Wow, I didn't know that. Who did? Mick. Mick did. And and Frank Filippetti, the engineer. I'm surprised because that might be the only time I've heard where Mutt didn't complete even mix. So he only. I, produced. I think he. I think he did mix couple songs and then then he just had to leave did he work you hard as a singer yes as part of pulling vocals from you absolutely but yeah I, I didn't mind i was up to the task did you have to redo things over and over again was it a yes. lot of that oh yeah yeah a lot of it yeah yeah i bet there's some people that can't tolerate that though it's like what's wrong with that take yeah no i i was i felt that way too you know and i would bitch about it too you know uh, I I just didn't understand his reasoning on a lot of it. That 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 even even Mick and and if there were other guys in in the room, would, would he would say, "You got to do that one again." Uh, there's just something. There's something about it. I says, "Is it out of tune?" No, it's not out of tune. I says, "Is it, is it the dynamic?" He says, "No, it's not that. There's just something about it. Can you do it again?" And, and, and you know I, I'm okay, but but when, when there's no rhyme or reason, you know, right. other than to make me do it again. I know it, I I did I did t and still do occasionally TV, and I used to do I used to be a VJ on VH1 Classic, and I used to have a producer that I would they wouldn't give me a teleprompter, and I would do a rundown of whatever video was coming up, and I would do it fine from memory from memory. Which I'm not good at, but I, I wanted to get it done. And, I, I, and, and he'd be like, give well, me another why, one. Why didn't you have a teleprompter? They didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> Dead this is, serious. This is VH1? Classic. The, the, the baby channel okay. back then. Okay. And I'm like, 
And they felt it would be more natural. I'm like, more natural? I got smoke coming out of my ears trying to remember these lines. What right. are you talking about? But I do it. And like, oh, let's just do one more. I'm like, easy for you to say. Get the fucking one more. Right, you know? right. That, that was the thing. So I can imagine on a singer, like, give me the 20th take of saying Jukebox Hero. You went like, well, get the fuck out of here at some point. Um, your, your guy, Bob, has given me the sign you got to go in five minutes. So okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hit you with some real quick things here. Sure. And then I'm going to let you get out of here. 2013 Songwriters Hall of Fame, rightfully inducted into that with Mick. Do you, I am out of my mind about Foreigner not being uh, included even for consideration in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I am a voter. I do every year. I scream about it on the radio. You, your band, Foreigner is my top one or two snubs and has been for a while. And I won't give up until it's made right. Uh, are you bothered by it like us, the fans are? Yes, you know, I'm bothered by it, but I understand it more. It's it's at this point, it's less about the music. It's it's uh, political and it's personal. You believe that towards you or overall, to towards your band or overall? Uh, towards my band, for sure. I know it is. Okay. Well, yeah, I believe Jan Wenner said about that yes. too in a recent podcast. Yes. I don't, I don't know what he said, but I, I know the story. Well, he said something about bands like Foreigner, uh, Styx, uh, REO, uh, Boston. Have not even, we've not even had conversations about them. Put, the, put you guys all in that bucket. There were conversations, all right. I'll tell you. Uh, um, you essentially feel like you're being blacklisted from Yes, it. absolutely we are. From something specific you did or they did? or uh, I think when, when the, 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 the artists... In our time period, and uh, in, not in our ilk, but in but the artists, the artists that were successful around the same time we were, the ones that made it into the to the Hall of Fame, and we were kind of left behind. Okay, it was very noticeable that we were, and and I think uh, uh, Foreigner's manager and Mick went in to see um, Jan. Uh, personally, and, and Mick and Jan were very, very good friends. Mm-hmm. They used to go running together. They they'd have meals together. They they'd see each other socially. They're very good friends, and and uh, so, so they they saw Jan in his office, and they they wanted a, a, a legitimate reason why Foreigner hadn't been inducted, like all their peers, you know, and. Um, I, I don't know why, but but it it, it led to tempers getting getting hot, mm. and and um, and uh, people losing their tempers, and uh, when when Mick and and Foreigner's manager left, I think Jan was screaming out the door behind him, "It'll be a cold day in hell when Foreigner gets in the hole." Well, let's see. Let's make sure. Let's get that fixed. Um, and I'm not going to give up pounding away on it because it's insane. Uh, last thing, and I'll let you get out of here. You got up with Foreigner not too long ago, did some songs a few years back. What are your thoughts on Foreigner now? What are your thoughts on Kelly Hansen when you hear him sing the old stuff? What are, and, and you had said to me last time I talked to you, you could never tour at the level that they tour now. So it's not like you have this desire to be back in there because you can't work like that. Mick barely plays the shows, essentially meaning that nobody on that stage most of the nights had anything to do with those records that were No, made. there's no original Foreigner in there. Right, unless Mick shows up for a few songs. Yeah, and, and, and it is a few songs. It might be one or two songs at the, the end of the night. Right. So what are you, what is your take on this? Do you think do do you think they should end? Do you think it's the type of thing that will be going after you and Mick are both gone? I I I think so. I I, I don't. You think it will keep going? I wouldn't be surprised. It's still a moneymaker. There, there's another generation of kids that 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 don't know that it's not the original foreigner. I believe. Oh, I believe that too. I believe there's a lot of people that don't, that they'll walk into a theater or a casino, see the name, not just with Foreigner, but a lot of bands. What, what is your take on Kelly as a singer singing your stuff? I think he's a good singer, and um, uh, and he sings those songs okay. He sings them good, but 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 he 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 mimics my my style right down to the ad libs. And um, 
I'm offended by that. Have you talked to him about it? No, never. But uh, you you were on stage with him, right? I was on stage with right. him, yes. Yeah. I just think that if he's going to sing the songs, he he could sing the, the melodies uh, that, that are familiar. But when it comes to the ad-libs and all the little things that set me aside as a vocalist when I sang them, he should he should make his own up. He should have his own ad libs that 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 are his own. He doesn't have to mimic me. Mm-hmm. Well, Lou, um, I can't. I could talk to you forever. I can't thank you enough for the time and doing this. I can't wait to see you sing tonight. I can't wait to hear you. Oh, we're gonna have a lot of fun. Tonight. And you got. Uh, you know, I didn't get to touch on Ready or Not and Midnight Blue and the amazing success you had then as a solo artist. We'll talk again. We'll have to do another round. I'd love to break down some of the other records and all that. Shadow King, which you mentioned earlier, great record. It sure was. Uh, Bruce Turgeon, Vivian Campbell was in that yes, too, he right? Was. I yes. mean, that people forget about that. That was it's such. A, a, it was a great album. It was a great album. You know what? Uh, it was an Atlantic Records album. And Mick was still trying to get me back in the band at that point. And uh, uh, Atlantic Records did not push that album at all. It wasn't in the stores. It wasn't promoted. And and it was to try and... It, it was actually supposed to fail so so that I would come back to Foreigner. Uh, that's a whole other story for another time. but. Yep. Uh, again, I know you got to go, and uh, I can't wait to see you play tonight. Thank you again for doing this. My pleasure. We hope to do another round, and uh, anything you need to get the word out, you know where to get me. It's an honor. Thank That's you awesome. so much. Thank you so much. Lou Graham, everybody. Just uh, unbelievable. One of the greats. Big thanks to Lou Graham. Really a big treat for me to have him on the show. And uh, we'll do more with Lou because he's got a record coming and look forward to catching up with him more when that comes out. I could have talked to that guy for hours. Just great stuff in that. I really hope you enjoyed it. And again, that happened on my Sirius XM radio show live about two and a half, three weeks ago from Cancun, Mexico, from the Sands event. Please join me every day talking rock with you and doing newsmaking interviews on Trunk Nation Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, live on Faction Talk. That's Sirius XM Channel 103. And you can, of course, listen to full shows, interviews, audio, video, anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. Be sure to follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, at Eddie Trunk. And be sure to listen to the podcast every Thursday for the new episodes. And be sure to subscribe. I'll be back next week with another. Have a good week, everybody. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.